Hey guys, welcome to Home Church Scotland. I'm Pastor Dave and welcome to our weekly podcast. Guys, if you're encouraged by what you hear today, why not check out our social medias? Just search for Home Church Scotland. Or why not subscribe to our YouTube channel where all of our services are live and in full for you to enjoy at your listening pleasure. I want to just uh, talk to you about discipleship this morning. Now, I'm old enough to remember 1973. Anybody else remember 1973? Okay, there's a few. Okay, not many, but there's a few. And back in 1973, I had the honour and the privilege to go with my parents to London to a Billy Graham crusade. Who's been to a Billy Graham crusade? Yeah, a few of you have. I know he's been in Scotland a few times, and of course we've had Franklin Graham as well, and others in the family, we had Ruth Graham as well. And it's just so great when you're at one of these meetings. I remember it was in Earl's Court and it was packed out 10,000 people every night. And as a 12-year-old, it was incredibly challenging for me, being a newish Christian, to see so many people on fire for God. You know, I'd walk down the tube stations with my parents to get on the tube and they'll be singing the, the choruses of the time and it echoing through the tunnels. There was Jesus stickers everywhere. Do you, who remembers Jesus stickers? Yeah? So it was like, uh, smile Jesus loves you and stuff like that. And they were plastered all over London. It was amazing. And then it culminated in a huge meeting on the Saturday uh, in Wembley Stadium. And it was packed. All the stands were packed. All of the pitch was covered. That sacred pitch, apparently, was covered with people. And Billy was amazing. He preached the gospel. You had people like Johnny Cash and Cliff Richard singing. And, you know, as, as Billy Graham concluded, as he always did, he gave an appeal. If anyone wanted to follow Jesus, to make their way forward to the front of the stage. And as a 12-year-old, I was moved to see how many hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds of people who came to the front to give their life to Jesus and say, yes, today I have decided to follow Jesus. And it was amazing things. But you know, I was reading um, a little while ago about the Billy Graham Crusades, and I, I read what Billy Graham said, and he said that research that had been done by his organisation showed that only 25% of those who responded at one of his meetings a year later were following Jesus. Only 25%. In fact, I was reading another survey that said that out of all of the evangelical, evangelistic outreach meetings and meetings like this where we, we ask people to respond, only 6% a year later are following Jesus. And that troubled me. I don't know if it troubles you. Because you're thinking, well, we rejoice when someone responds and says, yes, I'm going to follow Jesus. But then a year later, 94% have drifted from God. I don't think it should be like that, do you? I want to come to a point, and I hope you believe it with me, is that we get 94% of the people a year later still following Christ. Amen? Is that a good expectation? And we all like 100%, but we know that that's not necessarily going to take place because people have free will and they get, you know, the parable of the sower. We know the parable of the sower. 
the shallow soil, the rocky soil, the seeds don't take any growth and some grow and then the weeds, we know the story. But I really do believe that if we fully understand what the church is here to do and we all work together, we can bring those statistics up. And I'm sure that's what God wants. He wants to see more people come through into faith and grow as disciples. So this morning, I'm gonna try and relate to you with hope and with expectation that if we fully understand what we as a church are meant to do, what Jesus has commissioned us to do and how to do it, then we're gonna see a lot more people not just come to faith, but continue in faith. Amen? Does that sound good? Okay, so I was reading uh, Matthew 28, verse 19 to 20. Um, I think it's gonna go up on the screen. And this is what Jesus said, and it wasn't just to his disciples, it was to every single believer. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Now, when I reread that, I suddenly thought, I think we've been getting it wrong for years. Because Jesus didn't say go into the whole world and make converts. He didn't say go into all the world and make religious people. He didn't say go into all the world and make Christians even. He said, go into all the world and make disciples. And so as I was thinking this, I thought, well, that's a responsibility for every single believer is to make disciples. And then I thought to myself, do we even know what a disciple is? Because if you're going to make something, you need to know what it is. I mean, we come from Guernsey and we're going to be sadly but happily, happily because we're going to be next week with our friends and family in Guernsey, but we're also going to be missing you guys. But in Guernsey, we have something called Goshmelai. Now, if I said to you, can you go home now and make a Goshmelai and you can't Google it, you wouldn't have a clue as to what that is. Those of you who've been to Guernsey might have. A Goshmelai is a kind of, it's an apple dessert made with some suet and it's very, very tasty. But you wouldn't know what it was unless it's described to you and, and you tasted it. And likewise, we need to know what a disciple is before we can make them. Does that make sense? So if we don't know what we're making, how on earth are we going to fulfill the Great Commission? And in fact, even questions the fact, do we know what we're supposed to be? If Jesus wants us to be disciple, what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? What does that mean? What does it look like? What does it look like in our life, in our, in our attitudes, in, in the way that we interact with people, with our priorities in life? What is a disciple and how do we make them? Because when we, you see, the Holy Spirit is the one who brings conviction of sin. We know that, the Scripture tells, tells us that. It's the Holy Spirit that brings new birth in Christ. You're being born again. Holy Spirit does that. We can't save anyone. We're part of the process, yes, because hopefully through our witness, our testimony, through 
perhaps bringing people to a service where they can hear the gospel. We're part of that process, but we can't save anyone. Only God can save. So the Holy Spirit is involved in the new birth. But our responsibility is in the making of that person who's been converted, if you want to use that phrase, making them into a disciple. So that's our responsibility. It's a privilege, it's an honour, but it is the goal of our lives as Christians is to make disciples. We don't brainwash people. We don't force them to be something they, they don't want to be or can't be. But we're part of the process of, as Jesus said, teaching them all that I have commanded you. So we're part of the teaching process and showing perhaps through our, not just our words, but our actions, what a disciple should be, how to follow Jesus effectively and powerfully. So what is a disciple? I want to tell you this morning, I'm gonna try and describe to you a disciple in five words, five important words, okay? So if you wanna write this down, you can do, uh, or you'll just jot it down in your phones, whatever it is in your notes app. Five words that describes what a disciple is. Firstly, a disciple is a believer. A disciple is a follower. A disciple is a learner. A disciple is an imitator. And finally, one we always seem to forget, a disciple is a replicator. We're supposed to make disciples like us, okay? So we're gonna just explore that just for a few moments this morning, if you bear with me. We know that a disciple has to be a believer first. We have to believe. In fact, we think of the jailer in Philippi when Paul and Silas were arrested and, and the, the earthquake comes and all of that. And then basically the jailer says, what must I do to be saved? And the answer was, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. So there has to be belief in Jesus in order that we can become born again believers. But then just believing in something isn't enough. Why do I say that? Well, let me tell you what James says in James 2.19. He says, you believe there is one God, even the demons believe that and shudder. And we know that demons will not inherit eternal life, will they? So is it more than belief? Do you have to understand what belief means? Uh, I believe that belief must be combined with faith, belief and faith together. And they are different, but they need to be combined. Let me use an illustra illustration. If you're out to sea swimming and <clears throat> you suddenly get into trouble and you're waving, help me, you're down for the third time, your hand's coming up, and then suddenly this boat comes out and somebody throws you a life belt. You can believe that that life belt can save your life. But unless you reach out for it and take it, you're gonna drown. So it's not just the belief in the fact that the life belt can save you, it's actually reaching out and taking it. And this is where we see belief in Jesus is more than just believing, oh yes, I believe Jesus was the Son of God. I believe he died on the cross. But it has to be more than that. You have to take that step of faith and take hold of Christ and let him be your saviour, to save you from your sin. 
So you have to believe. Now, we also have to believe in the right kind of Jesus. You say, that sounds a bit strange. But there are cults, there are religions that have Jesus somehow in the mix, but it's a false Jesus. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, there are some cults that actually say, Jesus, yes, he came, he was, came to earth, he was the son of God, but actually before that, he was Michael the archangel. There's actually cults that believe that. And then when he went back to heaven, he became Michael the archangel again. Well, we know that's heresy. That's not the kind of Jesus that we are following, that we believe in. There are other cults that believe that Jesus was created like us. Well, we know he was born like us, but he was before time. He was with the fathers and the Holy Spirit. So he wasn't created by God. He always was God. And you have to believe the right thing about the right Jesus, because in 2 Corinthians 11, 3 and 4, it says, Paul's writing there saying to the church, I'm afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the snake's cunning, your minds might somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes to you and preaches a Jesus other than the Jesus we preached, or if you receive a different spirit from the spirit, Holy Spirit you receive, or different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it easily enough. We have to know when we believe what we're believing in is Jesus, the Son of God, who came and died on a cross for our sins. And then not just believe, but receive him as our Lord and as our Saviour. You know, in the early church, there was uh, already heresy creeping into the church. Uh, and even today, we see that happening sadly today. So the apostles and, and the church leaders, they got together and they put together something which we sing actually occasionally, the Apostles' Creed. And, and this morning, maybe you've come in and you don't know Jesus yet, you haven't believed in Jesus yet. And I want you to listen to this declaration of what the belief in God and in Jesus is and what it means to each of us as believers. All of us who are disciples should believe this. Um, let me just say, when the word Catholic is used in the Apostles' Creed, it means church universal. It's not Catholic, Protestant or anything like that. It just means church universal, okay? I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, the only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died and buried and descended to the dead. And on the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and he's seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of the saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body and life everlasting. Amen. As disciples, we need to believe that because that's fundamentally or foundationally what a disciple believes. So we have to have that belief. Now, the second thing about a disciple is that we also need to be a follower of Jesus. So we're not just believing, we're also following. And Jesus commanded many times in the Gospels, follow me. So what does that mean? In Mark's Gospel 8, it says, Jesus says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, 
take up their cross and follow me. That's quite an interesting concept. We have to take up our cross to follow Jesus. Now a cross, we wear it around our necks sometimes or, or put it on our walls, the symbol of the cross. The cross was a place of execution. So what Jesus is saying, look, you're going to have to put to death some stuff if you want to follow me. And that sounds quite severe. It sounds quite challenging, but it's also very logical when you realize what Jesus is telling you to put to death as a follower of him. We think, for instance, that we have to put to death our will. It's God's will now that we live for, not our will. We put to death our selfish ambition. We don't live for selfish ambition, we live for God's kingdom. We put to death our old nature, at least we try to, don't we? Because scripture tells us we've got to do that daily. All those temptations to sin and the attitudes that we used to have, the things we used to do, we've got to put them to death. Nobody's going to do it for you. You have to do it for yourself. If you're following Jesus, this is what we do every day. We put these things to death on that cross and we follow Christ. Let me tell you, whatever you've got to give up is nothing compared to what you gain in Christ. Amen? And we have to follow Jesus, which means we don't go our way, we go his way. Because if you don't go his way, you get lost. I remember I was, uh, used to go to South America quite a bit in the 90s with work. And I used to go with a friend called Vladimir. Now, Vladimir was from Czech Republic. He looked like Einstein. His hair was white and it went whoosh. And he was quite tall. And he used to speak nine languages. So when we're going around South America, it was usually Spanish or Portuguese, obviously, that uh, was being spoken. I don't know a word of it. Um, Abregado, I think. It's Portuguese, I think. That's, that's, thank you. Um, that's it. That's, that's, the, that's the total uh, knowledge of, of Portuguese. So I used to follow him. And he was tall and he had hair that went whoosh. So it was easy. Even in a crowd in the airport, I'd be just following Vladimir everywhere like a little lamb. So he'd lead us to the taxis. He would lead us into the hotels. He'd lead us through the towns that we wanted to see, to the offices, for the people we needed to meet. So I did that for two years. The third year, Vladimir couldn't come. He was already busy. So I was thinking to myself, I wish I'd taken some notice because I was following him blindly and now I've got to find my way around these airports and these countries. I don't speak a word of Spanish or Portuguese. And guess what? I got lost <laughs> quite a few times. If we're following Jesus, we'll never get lost. If we follow Jesus, it's fine not to take notice because he's always going to be there. He's always going to lead us. But we always need to follow him. Otherwise, we will get lost. So thirdly, a disciple is a learner. Now, funnily enough, that's exactly what disciple means, is a learner. So Jesus said these words in Matthew 11, verse 29. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Remember what Jesus said? Go into the world, make disciples and teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. So we need to learn what Jesus taught and then we need to teach what Jesus taught. 
Does that sound logical? But also, if we're going to learn, we also need to put it into practice. Because often in education these days, I mean, in my days, it was not so good. They just used to dictate hour upon hour, dictate from a book, and you had to write it all down. These days, I think there's a lot more interaction. So you learn something, you go experiment with it, and you, and you actually learn for yourself by doing it. And that's how Jesus does it. When we learn from him, he expects us to go and do the stuff that he did. So that's how we learn, and that's how Jesus taught. But in order to learn, we need to be teachable. And I think the older we get, the less teachable we become. I don't know if that's true. Uh, it certainly is, I suppose, with me sometimes. I think oh, I've heard all that before. But we need to be constantly teachable in order that we can learn what God wants to teach us. So how do we know if we're teachable? Just some practical issues. We're teachable if we take notes during the sermon. And I would love for more people to take notes. This is not a reprimand. I'm just saying it's often good if we can jot things down that God's speaking to our hearts about in the sermon. And I often use my phone uh, on my notes app. It's not that I'm texting people. All right, it's that I just, I'm learning. I want to learn more, so I'm putting down notes. Also, we're teachable if we're open to taking advice and help from others. We're also teachable if we're able to listen to someone else's opinion, even at the end of the day, if we have to agree to differ. Also teachable if we're willing to put what we learn into practice. How do we know if we're unteachable? If we flick through our Bibles during the sermon time or watch a football match on our phone? I've actually seen both of those happen, actually not here, but elsewhere. Um, that's, that's the spirit of being unteachable. If you continually claim to be right and will never consider anybody else's opinion, you need to listen sometimes because perhaps, you know what, maybe you won't. you're not right all the time. If we take offence when we're corrected, that shows that we're unteachable. If we object to any form of change because this is the way it's always been done, even if the change is going to be better for the church. Also, if you're unteachable, you're more likely to disrespect the authority that God has given to your church leaders and to be constantly criticising. You know, God has put leaders in place and we feel honoured and privileged to be part of the leadership of this church. But it also comes with authority and responsibility because the leaders of the church have to give an account to God about the decisions that they've made. And that, I tell you, is a task which you don't want unless God puts you in that place of responsibility. So the fourth thing a disciple is, is an imitator. Now, Paul writes to the Ephesian Christians, and he says in Ephesians 5.1, therefore be, listen to this, imitators of God as dear children. That sounds profound. That sounds a task impossible, doesn't it? Mission impossible. How can we imitate God? But then in Corinthians 11 verse 1, Paul is so confident that he's imitating God. He says, imitate me just as I imitate Christ. Now that sounds scary to me that he could say that. Can I say that? Could you say that? Well, let's have a look at what that actually means. 
You see, when we follow Christ, the, the more that we are in his presence, the more we begin to imitate him. It's like if you're with a friend, you pick up the little traits, don't you, the more you're with them. Or if you're a child being brought up in the family, you begin to imitate your parents, gestures, phraseology. I still say things that my mother used to say. You know, I still don't understand what it means, but you still kind of quote it, don't you? Uh, and people look at you like, what? I said, well, it meant something at some stage. I remember uh, that quite a few years ago, when we only had landlines. Does anybody remember that? Didn't have mobile phones? What? No mobile phones? We only had landlines. And I picked up the phone, it was ringing, and it was my son's girlfriend at the time. Now, just bear with me. My son has the same voice as me. He has the same gestures as me. He answers the phone the same way as me. So I'm picking up the phone, and I quickly, have to say to his girlfriend that it's not him, it's his dad, before it gets really embarrassing. And that's what happens. We do take on the gestures and the ways and, and the way we talk and, and the way we deal with things and attitudes that were of the people that we're with. So the more we spend time with Jesus, in his presence, in prayer and in worship, in private prayer and worship, the more we're going to imitate him, the more we're going to grow to be like him. And that's important as a disciple. In fact, the Greek word used for imitate is our English word, mimic. We mimic Christ. We imitate Christ. And if you remember a few years ago, we had the WWJD bracelets. I'm going back in the past a lot this morning. You probably realize that half the people here are thinking, what is he talking about? So we used to wear these bracelets and it used to have WWJD, and it was, what would Jesus do? And so the idea was that before we made a decision, before we did something, we'd check, what would Jesus do in this circumstance? Nothing wrong with that. It was important. And that's what, as disciples, that we should be thinking, what would Jesus do? How can we imitate Jesus in this situation? So I'm going to give you just three quick points as to how we can imitate Jesus. Firstly, by loving like Jesus did. How important is that? Paul says in Ephesians 5, how we can be imitators of God. He says, walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us. We need to love people like Jesus loved people, not discriminating, not judging, not, you know, we don't like that person, so we're not going to speak to them again. We love them because God loves them. That's how we imitate Christ. We imitate Jesus by avoiding sin. Sometimes we forget that, don't we? The Apostle Paul says in Ephesians 5 and lists behaviours which are not like Jesus, the un-Christ-like. If we do this stuff, we're not imitating Christ, so we're not being really a true disciple. He says, but among you, there should not be even a hint of sexual immorality. There's a lot of that in our world today. Or of any kind of impurity or greed because this is improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be any obscenity or foolish talk or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For this you can be sure, no immoral, impure or greedy person, such as a person who's an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. 
this is a immoral society, amoral society. I don't know, there's no morals. You can just be what you wanna be, do what you wanna do, doesn't matter. Everybody's got to accept that. But as a disciple, we're supposed to be imitating Jesus. So there's some stuff that we just don't do. And if we do those things, there is always a way back to repent, to say sorry, we're gonna be forgiven, so let's not hold stuff or live lifestyles that are contrary to the lifestyle of Christ. Let's avoid sin deliberately. Say, I'm not gonna do that stuff. I've decided to follow Jesus. I'm gonna imitate Jesus. And thirdly, we need to imitate Christ by doing the works that Jesus did. You're thinking, wow, for real? Yes. John 14, 12 says, truly, truly, this is Jesus speaking. I say to you, whoever believes in me, do we believe in him? Yep. Will also do the works that I do and greater works than these will he do because I'm going to the Father. So the kind of stuff, if we want to imitate Christ, that we are supposed to do is pray for the sick, heal the sick, help those who are marginalised, love them, go to the person that everybody despises and make friends with them, and through love, draw them to Christ. All of these things, there's a whole host of things that we can do in order to imitate Christ. And then finally, disciple is a replicator. This is probably the most challenging bit, is that we're supposed to make disciples like us. So if we become a disciple for the sole purpose of making disciples, and that's the truth, then it is a challenge. I mean, just imagine for a moment that one person that you've been praying for, maybe it's a family member, maybe it's a friend, work colleague, a student, whatever it is, imagine if they accepted Jesus, decided to follow Jesus, and then they became exactly like you. Would that be good? What would that look like? I wonder. Let's explore that because it's interesting. Would they read the Bible and pray as often as you do? And if they did, is that good? Or could we actually do better? Would they attend church and church meetings as often as you do? If they did, is, again, is that good? Or could there be an improvement? They would worship the Lord with the same enthusiasm that you have. Again, is that good or could that be improved in our own lives? They would give their time and their finances as we do. Same question. They would witness to their friends and family as much as you do. They would have the same passion for Jesus as you do. I mean, hopefully, somewhere in the mix, you're thinking, hey, yeah, actually, that would be really good. But then you might think, actually, I'm deficient in a few of these things myself. And that's the challenge. How do we become more like Jesus to be the kind of disciple that when we replicate, as it were, when we make disciples, that they're going to be a true disciple, on fire for God? Now, remember, you do not have to be perfect to be a disciple or a disciple maker. Because even Paul, who said, imitate me as I imitate Christ, he wasn't perfect. And I actually take quite a bit of encouragement from that. He says in Philippians 3, not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, 
but I press on. Are we pressing on this morning? For that which Christ took hold of me, brothers and sisters, I do not consider yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is in the past. Amen? And then straining towards what is ahead. I press on towards that goal to win the prize, which God has called me heavenwards in Christ Jesus. He said, I'm not perfect. In fact, in another portion of Scripture, he tells us that he doesn't do the things he should do and he does the things that he shouldn't do, you know? And we're the same. So don't feel this morning that because you might be a little bit deficient in your following of Christ, that you can't be a disciple maker. Yes, you can. We just got to keep pressing forward and pushing forward until the day comes when we are winning loads and loads of people for Christ and discipling them. I don't know about you, but I want that. I want that. So Paul's saying he's not there yet, and yet he says in verse 17, join together in following my example, brothers and sisters, just as you have us as a model. Another translation puts pattern. So there is a pattern or a model that we are to follow, and we need to follow that pattern. I wonder if the pattern of our life is something that we'd want to replicate in someone else. How do you become that disciple maker that Jesus asked us to be? Well, firstly, I want to suggest that we just live like Jesus did, <laughs> that we talk about Jesus. Often we talk about football, might even talk about church, but do we talk about Jesus? Church can't change a person's life. Jesus can. We need to demonstrate that agape love, agape love. We need to have compassion and generosity, be full of enthusiasm about Jesus because, you know, that passion is contagious. And as we're passionate about something, you know, people catch that. and They'll want to be here. They'll want to hear more. They want to find out what's going on. We need to share our testimony. And not just when, how I was saved back in 1969, in my case, but also how God has answered a prayer this week, last week, what he's done in our lives. We need to constantly uh, dig into the world of God, spend time in prayer, be passionate and enthusiastic about God. Talk about the great Christian music that you're listening to at the moment on home radio. Uh-huh. Soon to be 100.8 FM. Talk about that. Uh-huh. Get people listening to it. You know, let's, let's get so filled with Jesus that it, it just becomes like, wow, what have you got? Because I don't know what you've got, but I want it. That's how we should be. Now, we might not be there yet, but we can get there. We might be there sometimes, but not other times. And that's okay, because we're never going to be perfect, perfect. But let's make sure in our hearts we have a desire, not just to follow Jesus and to be like Jesus, but to make disciples of others. The second step is to find time and spend time in prayer. If you want to pray for a friend, here's a clue, who's not yet a believer, it's important that you pray with authority, okay? Because there is a scripture in 2 Corinthians 4.4 4 that says this, the God of this age, that's Satan, 
has blinded the minds of the unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the gospel that's displaying the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So before you give a testimony, before you invite someone to church, before you talk about Jesus, pray for them. And you can do that on the spot, all right? You just met somebody in the supermarket or home bargains or somewhere, and you think, I really want to tell them about Jesus. And so you pray there and then. You don't have to go into a room and hide yourself away and get on your knees. You just do it because you know God will hear you. And you say, God, I want to talk to this person about Jesus. Help me. Create an opportunity. And as the Scripture says, would you remove the blindfold from their eyes so that they can see the truth and see who Christ is? Because if you pray that, the enemy can't do anything about it. You say, in the name of Jesus, blindfold, be lifted. And then you witness, then you testify, okay? Because you know, you've got authority over the enemy. Did you know that? That's the truth. Greater is he that is in you than he that's in the world. So you can take authority over him and say, look, you blindfolded or blinded the eyes of this person I'm gonna speak to, but I'm saying in the name of Jesus, blindfold be removed. And then you can talk and they can hear and understand. And then finally, intentionally evangelize. Make it your daily desire is to share Christ, share the gospel with someone and in whatever means, just allow the Holy Spirit to guide you and help you in your intentional evangelism. So hopefully that's a little bit helpful in defining what a disciple is. Someone who believes, someone who follows, someone who learns, someone who imitates, someone who replicates. And I think if we get that right, that understanding, and we realize that we're all in this together. So if someone comes in to church, puts their hand up on a Sunday, decides to follow Jesus, that we all take it upon ourselves. It's our responsibility to teach them all that Jesus commanded, to love them, to encourage them, to phone them up, you know, and help them if they're having struggles. But don't leave them on their own. Because if you leave them on their own like a newborn baby, if you just left it on its own, what would happen? It wouldn't live. And I think maybe, just maybe, I'm not talking this church, I'm talking churches in general, maybe we've left new converts on their own and we haven't done the task that Jesus gave us to do to make that person into a disciple and to do it in such a way that they grow, they get strong, they bear fruit, making other disciples too. I really believe we can reverse those statistics in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Home Church Scotland podcast. If you have any questions about what you heard today, feel free to get in touch with me. My email is dave at homechurch.scot.